With all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Therefore, he appointed Jesus as head of the church, which is his body. And just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ and us. So we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and mature in the body, putting off our old selves to be made new and clothing ourselves with the full armor of God. Each part does its work until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. And there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Well, good morning. It is good to have you here in Bellingham and those of you in uh, Skagit, we're so glad that you're joining us down there and uh, we're excited that uh, Ron is down there with you and Pastor Brian, uh, as well as those of you on the live stream and those uh, in Boca Raton at the Trinity Church of God. Good to have you with us. We, we do that every week to welcome these in. I wanna tell you, you may not be aware of this, it would be hard for you to be aware of this because I just found this out, that uh, there's another church in Auburn, uh, just north of, or south of Seattle, uh, that is uh, in a transition right now. It's the Crossway Church, and uh, their pastor resigned uh, several months ago, and they have an interim uh, pastor uh, who's coming in about every other week to preach. Jacqueline Hendrickson is coming there every other week to preach, but in the off weeks, uh, they are actually joining us. And so, uh, so the Crossway Church in Auburn, uh, we're glad to have you with us as well. And then, um, yeah, and, um, another development that I just found out about it right now, for the very first time, in a, a, a building called the Hope Haven um, Community Center in San Pedro, Belize, um, they are joining. This is this is them uh, this morning. They are joining us on the live stream right now in Belize, and uh, yeah, uh, so it's just a, a great thing. And um, I, I I really believe that the Lord is calling me in January, February to come and see how you guys are doing. So uh, it is good to have you uh, with us in San Pedro, uh, Belize. So hey, we are uh, in this series where we're looking at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote called uh, Ephesians, and he wrote it to some people 2,000 years ago, but he also wrote it to us. And that's our approach. And we're in the middle of the book. We're in chapter three, halfway through chapter three. If you have your Bible, you can turn to that. Uh, as we saw last week, it's almost like he looks back on what he's written and these exhilarating truths about God, about how we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm, how we have been called into this glorious inheritance in the saints, this hope that we've been called to, that we were, as, as we you know, have looked at, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but brought to life, we were brought alive in Christ Jesus, not by anything we did, it was by grace that we were saved through faith and for God's purposes. And then God does this incredible thing of taking these two hostile groups, the Jewish folks and the non-Jewish folks, and bringing them together in a new society, a new community, a new gathering called the church, 
unified in Jesus Christ. And as he's looking back on all of this amazing stuff, at the beginning of chapter three, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. This is where we were last week. And then he stops. He leaves us hanging. For this reason, what, Paul? I mean, you started your sentence, finish your thought. And then he, he says, hold that thought. And then he goes into this parenthetical paragraph where he talks about this enigma, this mystery of God that has been hidden for ages, been hidden for generations, but has now been revealed and is fulfilled in Jesus and lived out in the church. It's a mystery that makes zero logical sense from a human standpoint, but it was a part of God's divine wisdom from the very beginning, from before the foundations of the world. It was an amazing thing, and as he's talking about this mystery, the mystery is that together, these Jews and non-Jewish folks, including us, come together and together we share an inheritance and together we're part of the same body and together we get to share in the same promises and together we get to approach God with confidence and freedom because of what Jesus has done. And Paul says, and I get to tell people about it. Like he's just ecstatic. He says, I get to, to help people understand the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to them that which would have been a, a, a hidden mystery for, for generations, I get to do that. He goes, okay, now what was I talking about? Oh yeah, verse 14, for this reason. Remember, that's, what he, that's where he's left is hanging. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. And in the rest of this chapter that we're gonna look at, he prays for the Ephesians. This is the second time. If you were here four weeks ago, Pastor Scott took us through the first prayer that he prays in Ephesians chapter one. And what's amazing about these prayers is that he tells them not just that he's praying for them, he tells them what he's praying for them and what he's praying for us. As we go through this, and we're just gonna kinda take it apart a little bit by a little bit uh, today, I want us to recognize that this is a prayer for us and this is a prayer that we need to be praying for one another. All right, what's interesting here though is that he says, I kneel before the Father. In Jewish traditions, kneeling was a very rare thing when it comes to prayer. For some of us, we knelt down at bedtime for prayer, we knelt at an altar to take communion, kneeling was a part of religious moments, but in the Jewish tradition, standing was the preferred posture of prayer. Even to this day, you go to Israel, you go to the Western Wall, they're all standing there praying. But Paul says, I kneel. He, he takes a different posture. Kneeling, you know, we, we don't live in a kneeling society. I don't bow down to anybody. Kneeling is about humility. Kneeling shows this heart of gratitude. Kneeling is a surrender, it's a submission, it's a dependence. And he says, for this reason, for all the things that God has done, he says, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives his name. And then he begins, and I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, no, 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 to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him, to him who is able, to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever 
and ever, King James Version, world without end. Amen. What a prayer. I mean, I read that prayer and then I hear myself pray. And I'm thinking, I am in the remedial preschool prayer group. Like, I just want to put my prayer shoes away. It's like, wow, what a prayer. And what strikes me about this prayer is that as he's praying for this, this church in Ephesus, as he's praying for the surrounding church, as he's praying, in essence, for us, is that his prayer is deeper than circumstances. It's deeper than the issues that we so often pray about. Now listen, hear me out on this. God is our loving Heavenly Father. There is no issue too small to bring to him. There is no prayer request too seemingly insignificant. He cares about you. You are his daughter. You are his son. You can bring anything and everything, everything in life you can bring to God, and you should. Pray first. Always pray first. But it's amazing how many of our prayers are about the circumstances that we find ourselves in, you know, or the situation. Or how about this common prayer? God, just be with them as they go. Like, can I just tell you, you never have to pray that prayer again in your life. Because Jesus has said, never will I leave you or forsake you. He says, I'm already packed. I'm going with them. Don't even ask me. It's not even an option. I'm going to be with them. So you don't, you don't have to pray that again, ever. See? Check, check that one off your list. All right. But the things we pray about, they're circumstantial. Be with Aunt May and her bunions or whatever, you know. Grandpa and his hernia. You know, help my son get this job. Help my daughter get in this sorority. Help these sniffles to go away before the weekend. Well, whatever it is. And Paul is talking about these prayers that are not about the circumstances. Remember, these people in Ephesus, they are undergoing great hardship and persecution. For some of them, it will cost them their jobs and their families, even their lives. Paul himself is in prison. But he doesn't talk about any of the external outward circumstances. Instead, verse 16, he says, this is what I pray. I pray that out of his glorious riches, what, he'll give you a job? No. Out of his glorious riches, he'll, he will keep you safe and protect you from everything? No. Out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. He knows this. If this can happen, if the inner being is strengthened by the power of God, then it doesn't matter what the outward circumstances or situation may be. Because there's a solid foundation that they can live and face anything, even death itself. I mean, isn't that why he, he, he writes in 2 Corinthians 4? Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary afflictions are achieving us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. What if we began to pray for each other that way? What if we began to pray for our kids that way? What if we prayed for our spouses, our roommates, our small groups? What if we prayed for those in our ministries? What if we began to pray that God, by his spirit, by his power, would strengthen them in their inner being so that no matter what they face, they have that solid foundation. So hold on to it. He says, so I, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power for a purpose, so that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This word dwell, there's two different Greek words that can be used for dwell. In fact, he uses both of them in this letter. One of them is dwelling like when you go to your campground and you say, this is our site, we're gonna dwell here for the weekend. The other one is when you have a home and there's a permanent residence, that's where you dwell. This is what he's talking about here. 
That Jesus isn't just coming in and camping for the hour that you're at church. He isn't just coming in and camping when you're having a good day and, and your devotions. No, Jesus is moving in. He is dwelling. He is taking up permanent residence within you. That he would be right here, that you would do your life with Jesus every single day. You would live your life in the reality of Jesus and his presence with you. That Christ would dwell in you, in your hearts, through faith. And that's not the end of it. He says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. And he uses two pictures, one from agriculture and one from construction. This idea of being rooted, that, that the roots of your life would sink deep into the rich, fertile soil of God's love. And by reaching down into the rich, fertile soil of God's love, there would be this refreshing water that comes up. There would be these nutrients that it causes your life to just flourish in the love of God. And I wonder... If Paul draws to mind that, that verse out of, out, of, uh, out of Psalm 1, where he talks about how we'll be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaves never wither, and whatever he does prospers, that that would be the picture of flourishing as your roots go deep into the fertile soil of God's love. But he says, not only rooted, but established. This is like a foundation. This is what you would build your life on. That there would, be, there would be a solid foundation that you were built on. And again, wondering if, if he had heard the words of Jesus from some of his disciples or from Jesus himself that we see in Matthew 7, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who builds his house on the solid rock. That there's this foundation that no matter what circumstances, no matter what storms, no matter what rogue winds blow through, that we can be solid, that we can be flourishing and solid in our walks. Says, That's why I'm praying that you would have that, that you being rooted and established in love would have power together with all the saints. And, and this power, three times, three times in this, in this prayer, he mentions the word power. Again, a reference back when Pastor Scott uh, preached on this four weeks ago. In that prayer in Ephesians chapter one, he says, you know, I'm praying that you would know this power that God has for us. And then he says, let me tell you about the power. It's the same power that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. That's the power of God in your life. And I pray that you would have power together. Remember, that was the whole mystery that we are together now. It's not just for the Jewish people, not just for the priests. It's for all of us, together with all the saints. And that word right there makes somebody say, I'm out, because you don't think you're a saint. And your family has told you you're not a saint. Let me tell you from a biblical standpoint, if you are a follower after Jesus Christ, you are a saint. Amen. You may never be venerated by the Catholic Church. I guarantee you, you will never be venerated by the Catholic Church. You may never show up with a halo, which by the way, find me one spot in the Bible where anyone wore a halo. You're not gonna make it through the rest of your life without sinning, but you are a saint. You have been chosen, you have been adopted, you have been brought into the family, for God's purposes, you are the set apart ones for his purposes, for his glory, that makes you a saint. Now what's curious about this is while he's praying this incredible prayer, it looks as if these are the things that they already have. I mean, he's already told them that they have Christ. You know, they, he's already told them that it, that was by grace, it was, it was by faith. He's already told them they have the Holy Spirit as, as a mark, as a seal, as a, as a as a down payment. He's already told them they have this power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. He, he's already told them that, that they've got this love. Why would he be asking this again? 
And I think maybe that can be answered with one word, to grasp, to grasp. Because it was the reality of their lives but maybe they didn't quite own it yet. Maybe they hadn't grasped it yet. Maybe it hadn't gripped them yet. All right, I, I know I'm sounding like a Pastor Scott fanboy, but one more thing. When he preached four weeks ago, he taught, if you were here, he talked about the difference between the 15-year-old kid that has his learner's permit and the 16-year-old kid who has his driver's license. When he's 15, he's kind of understanding this driving and the freedom and the power, but mom and dad or somebody's right there. When he's 16 and he's in his own, he knows it at a whole different level. And he says, here's the reality. These are all the truths about your life, but I'm not sure that it has gripped you. I'm not sure that you own it, and I'm not sure that it owns you. The word grasp can be translated, it's a military term, can be translated to ambush, to ambush. And when you ambush someone, there are at least two parts of that, at least in a military context. One, there's a, this element of surprise, and then there's control. Like you ambush, they didn't see it coming, you jumped out, you surprised them, and now they're under your control. And I wonder if he's saying, these truths about God, these truths about his love, I want them to, for the rest of your life, to every time you hear them, every time you think about them, every time you sing about them, every time you read about them, that you would be ambushed all over again. You would never become so familiar with these truths that you say, yeah, 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 Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. That you would be going, wow, this is the unsearchable riches of Christ. That it would continue to, to draw you into this life of surrender, this heart of worship, this gratitude, this humility of what Christ has done and continues to do. That you would never stop being ambushed by the truth. And that that would then control the way you think, the voice that speaks to yourself, your priorities, your attitudes, your relationships, your approach to spiritual disciplines, to following Christ, to surrender, that it would all be because you're rooted and grounded in this love. And he says, and I pray that you would grasp this. And then he gives us this directional piece. And I want us to slow way down on this one. He said, I pray that you being rooted and established in love would have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. You think, no, okay, no. This isn't the only time he does kind of this, it's almost like a compass rose, you know, kind of like a north, south, east, west deal. It's kind of like it, it covers everything. Because there was a time in Romans 8 when he was talking about the love of Christ. He says, and I'm convinced that neither the present nor the future, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. And so where, where did he come up with this? And I wonder, curious on this one, if maybe he goes back into his Jewish Hebrew roots of knowing the scriptures and going back into the oldest scriptures in the Hebrew Bible, the, the, the first book that was written. Because what you see here is like these themes that it seems he borrows for Ephesians. Maybe he says, okay, remember in the book of Job, and we read these words. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Wasn't that his whole theme that we looked at last week, the mysteries of God? 
Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? Isn't he talking about the unsearchable riches of Christ? Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What, what can you do? They are deeper than the depths of the grave. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. And maybe he takes that imagery from Job. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. That paints a good picture. Or maybe he thinks about the psalmist who writes in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn or settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will hold me, your right hand will hold me fast, your hand will guide me. This picture of no matter where I am, no matter where I go, no matter what I do, that there's this love of Christ. And who could miss the imagery of wide, long, high, and deep, the love of Christ. Greater love has no one than this. So let's just, let's just spend some time with that. Let's see if, if we can be overwhelmed with that all over again. How wide? This is kind of like the breadth of God's love. Like, what is the scope of God's love? Where's the boundary? Where's the border? Where do you get to the end of God's love? What, what do you do in life that could ever get you to where God would say, that's it, I don't love you anymore? Now, here's my guess. If there is a border, if there is a boundary, if there is some sort of uh, you know, end of the scope of God's love, it would probably have something to do with sin. Or cats. <laughs> but we'll go with sin on this one. That there would be something if we can get outside of the scope of God's love, it would be because of sin. And we think, okay, you know, that one's gone too far. Okay, you know, I, I just, I, I can't, that, that's it, enough. And here's the truth. If anyone could reach the boundary of God's love, if anyone could sin outside the borders of God's love, if anyone could then all of us have. And maybe we forget how offensive and deplorable sin is to our holy, righteous God. And maybe we forget that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here's his love. You could add in the word, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Can I just make a really bold statement no matter how hard you try, no matter how far you run, no matter where you wander or stray from, you cannot out the love of God. You cannot. You can spend the rest of your life trying to be as sinful, repulsive, egregious, heinous, deplor, whatever. You cannot out the love of God. Now some of you right now are saying, sweet. <laughs> Let me out of here. <laughs> okay, I will say this. There are consequences built into every sin. That's why God doesn't want us to do this, because he loves us. But you cannot out-sin the love of God. I mean, think about this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? You can't out-sin his love. And Isaiah says, come on, let, let's think about this rationally. Let, let's reason together. 
Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow, that they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. You're talking about blood guilt here, and God still loves you. I love in Psalm 103 when it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far will he remove our transgressions from us. So grateful it says east from the west, not north from the south. Because if you went out here and started heading north, get across the border, it may take you a while, but you head north, go up through Canada, those of you in Belize and Boca, go up through wherever. You go north, you go north, you go north, you go north, and you know what happens eventually? You start going south. North and south meet. But you go out here and you go west, or you go east, doesn't matter, one or the other. Go east, and you keep going east, and you keep going east, and you go around the globe, and you keep going east, and you keep going till you're dizzy, and you can't stand up anymore. You keep going east, it never becomes west. He says, listen, I didn't remove your sins like the north is from the south, but east is from the west, it never comes back. And Paul's just saying, I want you to understand and be gripped by how wide the love of Christ is. That is scope. You can never outsend that. How wide, how long? And, you know, is there an expiration to this? Is there a, a limit? And this is the stuff of love songs, isn't it? My endless love. <laughs> two hearts, two hearts that beat as one. Yeah, until camp is over, <laughs> or until the new freshmen come, or until you move off to college. Yeah, 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 my endless love becomes my ended love real quick. I mean, even Randy Travis, as long as old men sit and talk about the weather, as long as old women sit and talk about old man, darling, I'm going to love you forever, forever and ever, amen. <laughs> but there's a line in that song that says, as sure as I live, this love that I give is going to be yours until the day that I die. Ooh, wait, wait. So you're saying there is a limit? Yeah. When I'm dead... All bets are off. <laughs> How about that book we read on Mother's Day that makes us all cry? You know? I love you forever. I like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. <laughs> as long as I'm living, after that, you're on your own, brother. But what does it say in Romans? I'm convinced that neither life nor what? Death. Nor death can separate us from the love of God. Amen. Not even death. In Jeremiah, we read this. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Listen, there is no human capable of everlasting love. We just simply are not capable of that. I have drawn you with loving kindness. Because there comes an end to our life. There's a limit to it. But if you remember, the everlasting love of God goes actually both ways in a way that we can't even do. At the beginning, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love. We can't do that. God says, listen, I loved you before the world was even created and I will love you beyond death. And his patience, his love that helps us in the midst of our sin and the scope of that. I mean, in, in, in the Old Testament, when Israel was forever going off the rails, what does it say about God? We always say God's angry in the Old Testament. He is patient, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. How about in our lives? Any of you ever, ever be able to say God's been patient with me? Tell you what, 
He still is with me. But he who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Psalm 23, man, surely, goodness and love are gonna follow me all the days of my life. And then, I'm gonna dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lamentations chapter three, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to, they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He says, I just pray that you would understand how wide and how long is the love of God. And how high, how high. Let's use what we do as, as parents. We say to our kids, I love you to the moon and back. That's way up there. The moon's 239,000 miles roughly away from the earth. If it's up there and back, you know, we're talking about 478,000 miles. It's a long way. It's way up there, this love that we have for our kids. God says this, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. He says, okay, let's take that analogy a bit further. Beyond the moon, I mean, the sun, 93 million miles away, high as the heavens are above the earth. Uh, let's go beyond the sun, and we'll just, for the sake of our finite brains, let's go to the next closest star. There's a red dwarf out there just beyond the sun, just beyond the sun. In astronomical terms, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump away. It's this, this, red, uh, this red dwarf star up there that is, that is, is referred to as the Proxima Centauri. It's only 4.24 light years away. That is extremely close in astronomical terms. Like, cool, we could be there in just over four years. I would just be over 60 at that point. Yet that's if you can travel at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. I know all you sci-fi freaks, listen, we don't have the wormhole capability that you think we ought to. We don't have warp speed yet. You can't do that. From what I understand, the fastest spacecraft when it gets into the, the outer atmosphere where there's no resistance, like this thing called Deep Space One and Voyager One, it has the capacity to travel at 35,000 miles per hour. That's, that's mind boggling to me. It's like, seriously, we, we created something that goes that fast. 35,000 miles per hour. If you got on that thing and says, well, let's get to that first star. 80,000 years it's gonna take you. <laughs> to get to the next closest star on the other side of the sun. And God says, listen, as high as, that's just the next closest star, We're not, that's in our galaxy, we're not even talking about these. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for us. And what if we take it out of the material and the physical world and we take it to the spiritual world? How high is his love? That Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father and ever lives to intercede for us. That right now, Jesus, is going on your behalf to the Father. That's a pretty high love. So that someday as he prayed in John 17, we would be able to share his glory as joint heirs with Jesus Christ. How high? Paul says, oh, I just pray that you would know how wide, how long, how high, and how deep. And you don't know everything within me that so badly wants to quote and sing the Bee Gees, how deep is your love right now? but I won't. How deep. Now Paul, he spent a lot of time in Jerusalem, then he spent some time off in the wilderness. My guess is he spent some time at the Dead Sea. Dead Sea, the lowest place on the planet. 
about roughly 1,400 feet below sea level. Maybe he goes down there for a spa day. It's so nice and warm down there. Smear some of that Dead Sea mud all over him, do a little facial, just some time down there. He's been down to the lowest part of the world. How deep is that? But what if it's even deeper, like to the bottom of the Dead Sea or even deeper than that, to the bottom of the ocean? The deepest place in the ocean on our planet, off the coast of Guam, the Mariana Trench, a thing called um, the Challenger Deep. It's 36,200 feet deep at that lowest point at the bottom of the ocean. Let me put it in perspective. If you could take Mount Everest and tip it upside down and put the top of Mount Everest at the bottom of that deepest channel, the base of Mount Everest would still be 7,000 feet under the ocean. And Micah reminds us of this. You will again have compassion on us and will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. That's deep. Since I take your sin and I put it down there. And what if we take it to the spiritual realm? Can it be any deeper than the Holy One crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Could it be any deeper than the fact that the punishment I deserved was on him, that he was crushed for my iniquities, that he who knew no sin became sin? It doesn't get any deeper and darker than that. Into the grave, into death, separated from God. Oh, he says, I pray that somehow you would have the power to know how wide and long and high and deep is this love of Christ. And then he makes this curious statement in verse 19. No, before that, in, in, uh, yeah, yeah, no, verse, verse 19. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This doesn't make sense. How can you know something that surpasses knowledge? How can you know something that's unknowable and if we're talking about the same eternal God, how could I contain that, that I'd be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? That, that's, that's like mind-boggling. And I think what he's talking about here is that we have some issues of capacity. When you're talking about the knowledge of God, when you're talking about the fullness of God, there are some capacity issues. When you look at that statement, it might look like an, an oxymoron or something, and I wonder, is it paradoxical or is it inexhaustible? Is he saying, hey, this is a mystery you'll never get figured out, or is he saying, I am trying to illustrate that you will never, ever plumb the depths of this. You will never exhaust this. You will never reach the limits of this. There is none. Uh, let me try to illustrate it this way. This is a thimble. It's a thimble. And we're gonna let this thimble, so that you don't think I'm demeaning you at all, represent my life. This is my little Bob Marvel life. 56 years old. Pastor Bob, here I am. If we let this thimble represent my life, and we let the Pacific Ocean represent all the fullness and goodness and love of God, or again, Boca and Belize, the Atlantic Ocean for you guys. If we let that whole ocean represent God's goodness, his fullness, his bigness, his love for me, the reality is, in my little life, I don't have the capacity to contain all that God has. 
I cannot contain all of the Pacific Ocean in my little thimble life, in my little thimble mind, in my little thimble being. But I can have my little life filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, of his goodness, of his love. And while there's a whole ocean out there that I may never get to, everything that I can contain is right in here, filled with God. And he says, I, I pray that it, to whatever capacity your brain has, to whatever capacity your life has, that that would be filled to the measure that you would know, to whatever level you can know, that which is unknowable, beyond knowledge, that you wouldn't just know it here, you would know it here. And you would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In Romans, it says this. Oh, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Just filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And when he's struck by all this, it's like, it's like, it's like Paul's just overwhelmed at the magnitude of, of God and his goodness and his love and what he longs for them to, to experience and to live in and to know that he gets to the end and he says, now, okay, now, now. And then he closes with this doxology. Doxology is a glory statement. Doxa means glory, ology, like logos, like the word, like these glory words. And he closes with this doxology. He says, no, 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 no. Just make sure we know who To him... I want to make sure you really want, I want you to know who the him is. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. To him, to him who is able. I want to tell you this God that, that we want you to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of. He is able. And Paul's praying a big prayer for them. And he's able to do what I ask. No, 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 no. He's able to do what I ask and imagine the things I imagine but don't, don't have the guts to ask. He, he's able to do what I ask. And, no, no, no. He's able to do all that I ask and imagine. No, no, okay. He's able to do more than all I ask. Or Wait, 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 wait. He's actually able to do immeasurably more than all I ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within me. Wow. He says, now, to him, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And then what's interesting is he ends with this word, amen. And usually when we hear the word amen, we think it's done. Like when the pastor says, amen, we can leave now. Contraire mon frere. You're going nowhere. When he says amen, he puts a period on the end of the first half of the book. And he says, but that's not the end of it. That's just launching us into the second half. And this is where we're going to go for the next five or six weeks, chapters four through six. All of the things, he says, because of all these truths in one through three, amen, then because of that, that affects how, how we live, that affects the words that we say, that, that affects um, our relationships, that affects our marriages, it affects our work life, it affects our ethics, it, it affects our sexuality, it, it affects all of our motives, it affects all of life. 
And for the last half of this letter, he says, let me show you how now, with that in mind, how we are to live. He says, I want you to live the amen. This isn't the end of it, just knowing this. I want you to live the amen. The amen means so be it. So be it the reality of your life. And for the next, uh, next uh, five, six weeks, we're going to be looking at how then, with these incredible truths, do we live in such a way that it brings glory to our Lord who loves us so much. Now, so we're going to end. Uh, on your way out today, uh, you're going to get a thimble. And uh, this is what I want you to do. It's just kind of a visual reminder. And this week, I want you to take that thimble and put it somewhere where you'll see it every day. And maybe with that thimble, you would reread this prayer every day. You would be reminded about how wide and how long and how high and how deep Christ's love is for you. In fact, maybe you would even want to memorize that prayer. So we want you to get one of these on the way out. And I'd like for us, if you are physically able, and if you want, no pressure, to do what Paul did, the posture of humility and gratitude, surrender, independence. If you're physically able and if you want to, to kneel with me today we close and just to hear this again for this reason I kneel before the father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name and I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, with all God's people, to know how wide, what's the scope? How long, what's the length? How high, what's the height? How deep, what's the depth? The love of Christ. And to know, to know, this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever, world without end. And all the saints together said, amen, amen. amen. Now ask someone to help you stand up.